0: And the worship team—it's so great to be able to praise the Lord together, isn't it? To be able to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth together as a family—it's wonderful, wonderful. Well, my name is Pastor Jeff, and it's so great to be able to be back with you again. I've been in Norwalk and Port Clinton campuses a lot over the last several weeks, but it's good to be back to Sandusky here and to be with all of you guys. As well, and welcome to all the people uh, online too that are watching today. But just a few announcements as we get rolling here. First of all, you will see if you are brand new here to the chapel, we just want to have a special welcome to you today. Um, all you need to do is just text guest to that particular number, 419 504 71777. So just text it to there, and we'll be able to respond back to you with some different things all about the church. So if you're interested, just go ahead and text that, okay? Also, hey, the Dwell app. Woo, I just love the Dwell app. How many of you guys have the Dwell app? Anybody on your phones? Good, good. Now, the Dwell app is basically where you get a chance to read and hear the Word of God. And so we started talking about this a lot Uh, at the very beginning of our series in the book of John shortly after Easter. And uh, I tell you, I really am enjoying it. And you can listen to all different accents, too, of the Word of God being read. So if you like the British accent, you can get actually the British accent. And so you can hear the word... That way too, okay? So if you're not sure how to download it onto your phone, we do have a, a, a special whatchamacallit out there that can help you with that. So and Brittany and some of the gang will be out there to help you to get it onto your phone, okay? And then also we've got Orange Weekend next weekend. And so this is extra special where we're going to be having child dedication. So there's a lot of different kids that are going to be dedicated unto the Lord and uh, So we were asking everybody to please wear orange. This is where red and yellow come together with the church and the family, blending the, together to be able to help our children to really truly just grow in their faith in the Lord. So we're just asking everybody, wear orange, and let's have a great celebration together with all of the kids being dedicated, okay? Well, I hope you had a great week. It's been absolutely gorgeous out there. 80 and sunny, but I want you to think with me. I've got a question. A lot of times I like to start sermons off with a question, okay? And the question is this. What are some of the, maybe the nicest houses that you've ever seen in person or maybe on TV, maybe in a, in a magazine, I don't know, maybe even on the internet, okay? So think about some of those different houses. Maybe it's, Maybe it's this one, okay? That's that's LeBron James's house, one of probably many, okay? <laughs> Here's another one. That's a really small, tiny home, isn't it? That's on the tiny home list there. That's Tom Brady's home, okay? Or maybe it's this one. This one's right down the street from me in Milan, okay? Right in Milan. That's Thomas Edison's home. Or this is my personal favorite right here. That's a house in Burundi Africa. And we just had a team get back not that long ago from Burundi. And I tell you what, that is probably the best home. Because here's the thing in many ways, what turns a house into a home is not really so much what's on the outside, it's actually who resides in the inside of the house. That's what turns it into a home. It's the people that live inside the home, and in our culture today, we're always about the outward appearance. We're always about the glitz and the glamour and all of that. But you, God is always, always about the heart, and He's always about people and relationships with people. It's the same way with our heavenly home. You know, the reason our heavenly home is going to be so absolutely amazing is because, first of all, our awesome, our loving God is going to be there in all of his glory, in all of his glory. And then, second of all, our loved ones who had faith in Jesus Christ are going to be there in their perfect bodies, restored, renewed, that we get to be reunited with them again because of their faith in Jesus. And if we have faith in Jesus, we get to worship Our Lord then, together, for all eternity. For all eternity. So you talk about a great home with so much love and joy and peace. We don't have to worry. We don't have to fret about the future. We can know that God is in control, can't we? We can know that God is absolutely sovereign. And because of that, we can trust in him. And we can hold on to him as he holds on to us, he has prepared a room especially designed for each of us. In fact, Tim Keller, the late author Tim Keller, who's a kind of a favorite of many of us pastors, this is what he says. He says, even the worst thing that can happen, your death, is ultimately the best thing that can happen. We all long for a place that is truly home. Jesus says, it awaits you. Yeah. And it awaits us. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 14. That's what we're going to be kind of diving into today. John 14, looking at verses 1 through 3. And it talks a lot about a home. And it talks about trusting in the Lord. So here we go. It says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Yeah. You see, the context of this passage is very important because the disciples had just received some very, very troubling news at the end of chapter 13. Jesus was saying he's only going to be with them for a little while longer And they're confused by this. And that where he was going, that they were not going to be able to go. And they were confused, like, wait a second here. We've been following you around all over the countryside for over three years, and now you're saying where you're going. We cannot go. They were also told that one of them, Judas, was going to betray Jesus, and that Peter would disown Jesus. Peter would disown him, not once, not twice, but three times. Now, you can just imagine that all this caused quite a bit of anxiety within the disciples' hearts. They had spent these three years with Jesus. They had expectations for Jesus. They had great expectations for themselves. This was not in their plan whatsoever. Their hearts and minds were probably in complete disarray, thinking, wait a second, I've got a plan here, and this is not the plan. They're probably thinking, what in the world is going on? Anybody ever said that? I've said that. What is going on? What is is Jesus talking about? But Jesus steps in, doesn't he? He steps in. And in a way that only he can do, only he can do, he quiets their hearts. And he tells them to simply trust him. To trust in God the Father. And to trust in him as the Son. Same way with us today, isn't it? That's what we need to do. Our hearts are heavy. And some of you in here, your hearts are so heavy. You've been going through so much pain, so much heartache. So much that's been going on in your lives. Death of loved ones loss of jobs, different things that have taken place. And sometimes we can't get our hearts and our minds to settle down. Sometimes it seems like things can be out of control, but you know what? That's the beauty of Jesus is that he calms our hearts, doesn't he? He says, do not let your hearts be troubled, but to trust in him and to recognize that he's got us, that he holds us in the palm of his hand. Holding us so tightly, he's not going to let go. Even when we try to wiggle, it's kind of like when you have your child, you know. You're holding your child. Your child's trying to wiggle and run across the road. And you're saying, no, 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 no. You got a hold of that child. Sometimes we're wiggling. Sometimes we're trying to get it out of God's control. And he says, no, no, I've got you. I've got you right, right where I want you to be. He's holding us now, and he's holding us in our future. And that's our bottom line today. Our first bottom line is this. Only Jesus can quiet our hearts. In a world that can be so noisy, in a world that can be so chaotic and so difficult, we can know that Jesus quiets our hearts. He grants us a supernatural peace that passes all understanding. One of my favorite verses, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, right? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with thanksgiving, present your request to God in the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. Oh, guard your hearts and guard your minds in Christ Jesus, right? Only he can do that. He also lets us know that he's preparing a place for us in his father's house. When I was doing the studying on this, I recognized that this place or room is a secure, permanent dwelling place. In modern terms, it's kind of like a beautiful suite in a giant mansion. It's our heavenly home where we will spend all of eternity, and it's far better than any place right here, right now. In fact, I like to use the illustration that in many ways, we're kind of on a A rustic camping trip, okay? And I grew up doing a whole bunch of those. And as an adult, I don't do any of those, okay? I mean, real rustic camping trips where our tent is constantly being flooded by the storms of life. Maybe we're being eaten alive by the mosquitoes of sin or where we can't seem to find our way out of the woods of darkness, That can sometimes be life, right? That could be our lives sometimes. Our heavenly home, though, what a beauty. One of wonder. We're in the constant presence of our Lord Jesus at all times. We're in the presence of our loved ones who had faith in Jesus Christ that we can look forward to eternal life because Jesus promised it all to all who believe in him. We don't have to fear the grave because Jesus conquered the grave and Jesus is alive and he's alive today. That's what we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt. Our true home is with Jesus and Jesus is the only one who can fully turn a house into a home, he's the one that could turn any house then into a home. What makes heaven so amazing? What makes it so amazing is we're in the very presence of Jesus, all throughout scripture, we recognize that originally we were created for this earth and created to be in constant relationship with God. However, sin broke. That intimate relationship, but consequently its effects damaged everything in the earth. It caused all the discord, the dissension, the jealousy, all the different things that go on in relationships between people in our relationship with God. But the miracle of miracles is that God restored this problem. He restored it. Check it out. Revelation chapter 21 one through three, I like to read this a lot, especially when I'm doing funerals, because it says that I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. Yeah, wow. You think about that, that God will eventually restore all things, will even make his home amongst his people again. In other words, he is going to eventually bring heaven to earth one day, and we can look forward to that day. But one of the disciples definitely didn't get it, right? One of the disciples, Thomas, he didn't understand all this. What what was going on? Where was Jesus going? That's why we read John 14, 5 and 6. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you are going. So how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. One of the things that I absolutely love is when I'm driving on 250 and Even when I used to pastor in Worcester years ago, I'd drive by 250. And that sign, I don't know how long it's been there. It's must been, been there since I was a kid, I think, that says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I love it. So whoever puts that sign up, keep on doing it for generations to come. Because you got the living Bible, a Bible right there that thousands, probably millions of people have seen over the years. But these verses are absolutely crucial when it comes to eternal life. Thomas is sincerely questioning how to know the way where Jesus is going. He's being honest. He's being straightforward with the Lord. He's not trying to pull any punches. And Jesus is honest. He's straightforward right back with him. And he's saying, look, there's no doubt. I'm the way. I'm the way. Now, This is the sixth I am statement in the book of John. And Jesus is answering Thomas by stating that he is the way to God because he is the truth of God and the life of God. This is a key statement because it demonstrates that Jesus is the only way. Not a way, not one of many ways to the Father, not one of many ways to eternal life. No, he's telling Thomas He's the only possible way. Now, this is not a popular statement at all these days, is it? People don't want to hear that these days. But it's the answer that Jesus gives. He makes it crystal clear that he is the only way. In our relativistic culture today, we don't want to hear that. We often live in a world that's full of choices, right? Everything's right in our own mind's eye. We all have our own kind of Ways of thinking, right? We're all used to choices. We go to the grocery store, oh, we have 50,000 choices. We go to a restaurant, we got another 50,000 choices of everything. We're not used to, there's only one. Can you imagine going to a restaurant? You go to the restaurant today, and there's only one thing on the menu. You'd freak out. You'd probably pass out in your chair. You go to the grocery store, there's only one brand of peanut butter. And I know it's Jeff, sorry. But that's the only one. You'd freak out, wait, wait! I'm used to Peter Pan, now come on, you know, you would, we get, we're so used to choices, aren't we? But we have to realize, Jesus is saying here, there's only one way. I liken it to uh, this illustration I've used before where uh, I'm driving a van, and uh, I've driven lots of 15 passenger vans on many mission trips over the years, and I've been on a New York City mission trip 20 different times. And if you've ever been to New York City, There's only one way to really get into the city, right? And that is to go across what is known as the George Washington Bridge. There's no other way that you're going to be able to drive a van into New York City than going across George Washington Bridge. Now, can you imagine? I'm driving along, and I got my van full of people, and I get up to the bridge, and the bridge worker's there, and he says, hey, need all your money, and the money keeps going way up. I need your money, and I say, nope, I'm not going to go across this bridge. I'm just going to go through the water. He's going to look at me like I'm insane, right? There's no way, sir, that you're going to be able to get that van over to New York unless you go across this bridge. And I can argue till I'm blue in the face, but there's only going to be one way to get that van, and it's not going to be through the Hudson River. It's only going to be going across that bridge. Likewise with Jesus, he is saying he's the only way. He's the only way because he is both fully God. He is fully man. And by uniting our lives with his, we are united with God. So instead of worrying about multiple ways to the Father, we can thank God for providing one sure way to get to him. We're constantly worrying about all these other religions or whatever out there But you know what? Jesus is that way that he's given, that God has given to us. So that's our next bottom line, that only Jesus can be the way. And then Jesus says, what? I'm the truth. I'm the truth. He's not only true, but he's the very definition of truth. Because he is the reality of all of God's promises and is the very revelation of God. So then in a world where everyone is kind of clamoring for the truth, right? And everybody says, well, I've got the truth. No, I've got the truth. No, I've got the truth. Everybody's clamoring for what is true. We can rest assured, people. We know. We know the truth. That Jesus is the very definition of truth. And faith in him is not a blind leap of faith. It's a faith based on loads of evidence Supporting that he is truly the Son of God, that he lived a perfect, sinless life, that he died on the cross for our sins because he loves us so much, and that he arose again to give us abundant life, to give us eternal life through faith in him. Not only does scripture reveal this over and over and over again, but there's numerous books that are actually written documenting all the evidence. Behind these truths. I absolutely love apologetics. I know Pastor Joe really loves it too. Apologetics is just basically a defense of the faith. Do you guys realize there's so much evidence that supports our faith? This is not a blind leap. It's not. I challenge you, if you've not read, a real easy book to start with is more than a carpenter. I read that as a college student. It changed my life. Evidence that demands a verdict by Josh McDowell. It's another good one. Case for Christ by Lee Strobel, another good one. These are all the different evidences that support our faith. It just backs up our faith. Think about it. We know truth already in a lot of ways. I've got a fifth grader and a ninth grader. If my fifth grader starts to argue with me about what two plus two is, I say it's four. He goes, no, it's five, seven, or nine, or all the above. I say, no, 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 no. It's four. He can argue until he's blue in the face, but the correct answer is four, right? But we live in a world today that we want to say no. It's not four. It's five, seven, nine, and all of the above. What kind of world? Wait a second here. Jesus is also the correct answer. Truth is not on, well, not one of the other many religions of all of the hundreds of religions that are out there. It is only Jesus, because here's the deal: Jesus is not a religion. Sometimes people come up to me and they'll say, well, you're pretty religious. I go, no, I'm not. I go, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. that I asked Jesus Christ to come into my life when I was 16, almost 17 years old, and he changed me. I was a person that was very, very down. And uh, my sister says, you were like Benjamin Button <laughs> in a movie where I was kind of, old when I was young. And then I I got young as I got older because God put a joy in my heart. I was a grumpy old man when I was a teenager. My parents had gone through a real messy divorce and, and I was depressed and angry, angry at God. How could you allow this? But then God came into my life and changed me from the inside out. That's what he can do. He could change people because he's the truth. He's a person, okay? He's about a relationship. It's a relationship with him. He's the only one who's resurrected from the grave. These other religions, you're not gonna find their leaders or whatever, they're not, they're, they're not resurrected from the grave. You go to Muhammad's tomb, he's still in there. But Jesus is not. He's alive. You have to realize, only Jesus can be the truth. Only Jesus can be the truth. We come to the next important statement, and that's what? Jesus is the life. We studied a few weeks ago that Jesus is the bread of life, but he's also the very essence of real life. Not only does he give us abundant life here on earth, full of meaning, purpose, and joy, but he gives us, most importantly, eternal life, because he joins his divine life then with ours, both now and eternally. And the word life, it's actually used 36 times just in the book of John. Just in the book of John. That's because life is Christ's greatest gift to us. It's his greatest gift to each of us. We can be thankful. Do we thank God every time we get out of bed in the morning? Just say, it's good to be alive. Thank you, God, for another day to be able to live for you. Thank you that my heart is beating today, and I want it to beat for you today. See, if we want to experience real life, here's the deal. We have to turn our lives over to Jesus. It's the only way, though. Nothing else is going to satisfy. Maybe some of you in here have been trying everything else under the sun to satisfy you. Maybe you've gone to the alcohol. Maybe you've gone to the porn. Maybe you've gone to... All kinds of inappropriate relationships. I don't know. God knows. But the bottom line is we got to turn our lives over to Jesus. Let him be in control of our lives. Everything else is kind of going through the motions compared to a life filled with joy and purpose found in Christ. An eternal life, which is sought after by most everyone, can only be found in Jesus. As Scripture states, no one comes to the Father except By Jesus, eternal life is always connected then. It's always, always connected to God, the Father, and God. The Father is one with God, the Son. Isn't that awesome? So eternity in heaven hinges. It actually hinges on our faith in Jesus. And that leads to our next bottom line. That only Jesus can be the life. Only he can. The question is whether we truly accept then that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And if we do, that should change everything within us. That should change the way that we act, the way that we speak, the way that we live, the way that we think. Here's the deal. Everything changes because Jesus changes us. People could see a difference In our lives then, when Jesus Christ comes into our life through the power of the Holy Spirit, it changes everything. Our whole perspective on life changes because Jesus is changing us. That's the beauty, the wonder, the power of God. In fact, verse 12 and 13 says it this way, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works that I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Wow. Remember the first time I ever read that years ago and I thought the same works? Even greater works than Jesus himself? Can you imagine what the disciples We're thinking about this. After all, Jesus had performed many miracles, including raising people from the dead, such as Lazarus, raising himself then eventually from the dead. But the greater works are because Jesus ascends into heaven to be with the Father and then sends the Holy Spirit to reside within every believer. So then we can walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, not in our flesh. Our flesh cannot do anything, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, We could do miraculous things for God's glory. Not for ourselves, but for God. That's the beautiful thing. That's what the disciples did. They were able to preach the gospel all over the world. See the conversion of thousands and thousands of people perform mighty miracles all in the name of Jesus. Wow. We're going to examine a whole lot more of that in a couple weeks in chapter 16 so get ready that's just a little precursor for what's going to happen when we talk all about the holy spirit again in chapter 16 but as we continue on with with chapter 14 we see another important aspect of jesus and this is this is crucial too this is love and obedience love and obedience This is what it says in John 14, 23, 25. Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I am telling you is from the Father who sent me. I am telling you these things now while I am still with you. Yeah. Here we see the direct correlation between love and obedience to Christ And it's critical, absolutely critical for believers that are wanting to develop in maturity in Christ that we get this. God doesn't want us to stay as kind of babes in our walks with the Lord, but rather to continue to grow, to develop in our faith. God's desire for us is really just a big theological term called sanctification. Okay, big word alert. It basically just means to be made holy, right? To be holy as God is holy. We can't do that in our own, of ourselves at all. We can't attain it perfectly here on earth, but we can strive for it through the power of the Spirit, not our flesh, and we can embrace God's grace. Oh, his marvelous grace when we fail, when we fall. We can allow God's forgiveness to cleanse us, to wash us from all unrighteousness, right? Provide us then for strength the next day. I tell people all the time we can't live in our, our past. We've got to recognize that we live in the present and we look forward to what God's got in the future. Some ways this can be compared to our own children. I know many of us as parents, we desperately, desperately want to raise our children, right, in a godly home. We want to raise them up to grow and to mature, to eventually become responsible adults. We don't want them living in our basements at age 35. Although if you are living in a basement, I'm sorry, it's okay. <laughs> it's all right. I lived in a basement for a long time, it's okay. but But that's not what God's desire for us spiritually. He wants us to to really, truly be able to become mature in our faith. And it's a process, right? And just like with our kids, the days can seem long, but the years are short. The days can seem so long, especially when they're 2, three, four, oh my. But the years are short. And we pray that our children will just simply listen, that they will obey. We think to ourselves, we've lived a lot longer So, we got some wisdom to impart. Sometimes I feel like I'm a prophet because I know what's going to happen before it actually happens. Don't you do that as parents? You know, we do that. It can be frustrating at times when we hear our children saying, they love us. I love you, daddy. I love you. And then they go and like punch their sister. I'm like, what in the world? What? You know, it can be frustrating at times. But here's the scoop. Before we get too critical of our kids or grandkids, isn't that what we do with Jesus? We do that with Jesus. We could say we love him. I love you, Jesus. You're praising him today. Be lifted high. You know, you're praising him. But then what about when you walk out? Are our, our actions, our words, even our thoughts demonstrating love for Jesus? If they're not, then we have to allow the conviction of the Holy Spirit to change us so that obedience and love go hand in hand in our walks with Christ. After all, love is much more than just lovely words. It's easy to let the words flow at times, but it really boils down to our conduct. It boils down to our conviction. It boils down to our character. And Jesus modeled that for us, didn't he? Out of his love for the Father and his love for humanity, he was obedient to death, even death On a cross. So then Jesus, He doesn't ask us to do anything that He hasn't done Himself, right? That leads to our next bottom line that only Jesus can connect love and obedience. Only Jesus can. What do we do with this, what we know now? What do we do? I'm a big proponent of action steps, life lessons. If Jesus is the only way to heaven, then I need to quit trying to pave my own way. If Jesus is the truth, then I need to stop believing the world's lies. If Jesus is the life, then I need to discover my life in living for him. And if only Jesus can connect love and obedience, then I want to live that kind of love and obedience amongst my family, amongst my friends, amongst different strangers that I I see or different people in the community. I want to be able to do that with a world that is watching us, right? This leads to our action step here today. Most important one of all, that only Jesus can save us. Only Jesus can save us. Only Jesus can rescue us, can save us. We have to recognize that, you guys. Acts 4.12 said that there's only one name, only one name by which we can be saved, and that is the name of Jesus. There's no other name, only one name under heaven. Our ultimate action step then is to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord, as our Savior, to repent of our sins where we're going one way and we say, no, I'm gonna go the opposite direction. I'm gonna ask God to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me. I'm going to walk with him and follow after him with all of my heart. But maybe you're here today. Maybe you say, well, I've, I've trusted in Jesus. That's awesome. But maybe you're here today, and you know that you just need to rededicate your life, that you've just kind of been going through the motions, you've kind of been going through a wayward type of a time, maybe backsliding somewhere. You're just, he's just not your first love right now. Other things have become more important. This could be a a chance for you to rededicate your life to him and say, Jesus, I want all of you, not just a part of you. I want you to be not only my Savior, but my Lord. Or maybe you're here today, and you just need prayer. Just like our first point today that your hearts are heavy. You have a lot of burdens that you're carrying right now, a lot of pain. This is a chance for you just to lay those at the feet of Jesus and just to be able to feel the warmth of his embrace, to know that only Jesus can quiet your heart. Only he could be the one that can help you through whatever that situation is. Or maybe it's prayers for a loved one, prayers for a family or friend. We're going to do something special today that we don't do very often, but all the pastors, we were talking about this, this past week and people on staff, and we were saying, you know what, let's do it. This is the week to do it. So this is a chance where I want to encourage you, if you'd like just to come forward today and just to pray here, um, right here at, at the front, hey, this is a chance for you to pray. And we've got some different prayer uh, counselors that are just going to come up and pray with you. And you don't have to be worried about what other people are thinking. You don't have to be, you know, think, oh, this is strange or whatever. You know, this is just a chance for a couple of minutes just to lay whatever burdens you have at the foot of the cross and I'm going to do that as well, but I encourage you to come forward as the Spirit leads you, and then Meg will dismiss us here in a few minutes as we sing Jesus Can. Jesus Can. Amen.
1: Who turned a broken dream into a life, redeeming? who can turn your worst into your faith? Saw me where I was, and knew where I stand. free he picked up all the pieces look at me now This point. If you've come forward for prayer, we invite you to stay here and we would love to have someone pray with you. The rest of you, you are dismissed. Have a wonderful Sunday.